You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! All right, ladies and gentlemen, and Leon, it is the Dice Men Cometh tonight, coming live from our respective lounge rooms. And Leon, I yes, hate sir. to tell you, mate, but you are old and you are oh. blind. And how is that going to make your life easier when it comes to the world of board gaming? Because you got glasses. Yes, Garth is alluding to the fact that in the last couple of weeks, uh, we haven't recorded in a while because we had a few episodes banked up, that I have got myself some glasses because I've been hiding my nerddom pretty well behind these tattoos and, you know, Ruggum Hanson looks all these years. But now I've kindly folded and gone, nope. I need to let everyone know clear as day by looking at my face that, yes, I have now got glasses like everybody else that I know, because why not? Because it turns out my left eye is utter bollocks. Well, the good thing is, Leon, you now have an even better face for radio. So we better keep this podcast going behind closed video doors. Um, Speaking of which, we have a special guest tonight who is affiliated with a previous special guest that we've had, but we are very lucky to have Brennan Noonan with us today and tonight or this morning, whatever time of day you're happening to be, to be listening to us. Brennan, welcome to the show and, and thanks for making time out of your otherwise hectic Victorian lockdown lifestyle. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, marriage is definitely the best kind of affiliation, I think. Um, <laughs> you're, of course, referring to my husband, Dan May, who was on the show uh, probably a few weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, very happy to be on, um, joining you from probably the second best Australian province, let's say it, from Victoria. <laughs> She's learning quick. Good to see. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I'm sure you'll think it'll be even nicer once you get to go out and experience it a bit, a bit more. Um, you know, hopefully yeah, well, I see it from out the window and it looks quite nice. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out there. I don't know. Being shacked up with Dan May for a few months wouldn't. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I can imagine. I mean, I spent I spent a weekend in the same room as him, and it was relatively pleasant. To be fair, we were both drunk for most of it, but it seemed relatively fun at the time. It, yeah, it, it's that's definitely been a lifesaver. Um, I almost like we actually almost didn't travel to Australia at the same time, um, and that would have just been like an absolute nightmare if we'd gotten separated for this long. So I'm very happy that we are both um, shacked up here in Australia. Fantastic. Well, let's educate our listeners on who and what a Brenner Noonan is because some of the more eagle-eyed listeners may hear a little bit of an accent. Is that right? Um, I think you're actually referring to the absence of an accent that I have. Um, I am American. So of course my manner of speaking is the default way that I hope everyone else will ascribe to. Um, (laughs) Yes, I am American. Excellent. So welcome to this particular hemisphere because, yeah, you, you did move down with your wonderful husband, Dan May. But, but what is a Brennan Noonan and what does one do? Because according to your website, you're a, at least a quadruple threat. We've got publisher, developer, writer and marketer. But that's not just board games. There's a, there's a whole other series of talents behind that. So, yeah, who and what are you? Yeah, so um, I work in the uh, tabletop industry professionally. Dan and I have a company together called Cool Silver Studio that um, basically provides creative services for board games. That includes like development services, art services, marketing services, all kinds of things. I've 
been working in the industry for like about four-ish years now, I think. Before that, I worked in marketing full-time. I know you guys don't get too much of this, but uh, I worked for an ice hockey team in America um, in their National Hockey League there. I did marketing for them. Oh, which team? Uh, which team? Uh, the San Jose Sharks. Ah, I don't know them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know the Jersey Devils because Kevin Smith's from there and they're called the Devils, so naturally they're the coolest team. That's about the span of my knowledge. Um, so it's interesting you mentioned that because the coolest team are actually the Boston Bruins. I'm from Boston, um, so the Bruins are my team. Um, but I love the Sharks too because uh, I worked with them. And before that, uh, I actually went to school for music. So I have a master's degree in music composition, which has the distinction of being the only industry like less lucrative than board gaming. <laughs> so I, I've just been like lucking out at every turn. <laughs> but isn't it good that you get to do something you love and clearly not worry about the money? Yeah, I mean, it's really probably emphasis on the love, less emphasis on the not worrying about money. <laughs> None of us do this for the riches and the fame, that's for sure. Well, that's, that's the beauty of the situation that me and Garth are in, because if we don't have lots of different skills, people don't expect much for us, because you might be a quadruple threat, whereas me and Ra Garth are relatively good at this radio thing, so all we are is a threat? Is that all we are? Yeah, Just I a think threat? Even that we're half a threat each. Half a threat each. Uh, I was going to put a threat on my resume, but I can't even put that now. So I'm half a threat. That's a feasible amount of threat to manage, though. Cool. I agree. And I feel in this day and age, it's a pretty low amount of threat, which is nice. Yeah, I think like anything that can reduce the level of threat that we're all dealing with right now is a good thing. It almost sounds like some sort of board game mechanic. But mm. let's not go talking about that now. That would be crazy. No, but speaking of board games, we get it better give some people a bit of a background into the kind of games that you've been involved with, Brenna. Now, I wrote a couple down, again, from your website and, and through BGG. We've got involvement with Keeper, Alien Frontiers, Black Orchestra, Nothing Personal, Role Player Adventures, Anomaly, War of Whispers, which we will be talking about after we uh, have a little chat with you, and Everdell, of course, just to, to name a few now. It's not a bad list of games, I guess, that you've been involved with. Um, are, you, are you proud of those in some way? All right. <laughs> uh, no, uh, in all seriousness, very proud, definitely. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've had a lot of great opportunities to work on some, some really cool games that are out there now. Um, more coming down the pipeline. So it's been a really fun time and, yeah, very thankful for the opportunities. That's fantastic. So what was the first game that you actually were involved in and, and what was the capacity? It's hard to say. So when I when I started in the board game industry, I was working with a publisher um, who was then called Game Salute, now called Starling Games. I think my first game with them may have been like Farlight, which is um, like a, a sci-fi engine building game, but not the mechanic engine building. You're actually building an engine in it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that may have been the very first project that I worked on, if I recall correctly. I have a feeling that I ran into Dan May at PAX in Melbourne at a booth selling Farlight. You most certainly probably did. Um, he illustrated the cover for that, did a great job, and did a bunch of other things with the game as well. So, yeah, he would have been talking about that. Excellent. Because I look at this list and I go, Alien Frontiers must be pretty close to one of those just consistently great enjoyable games that you just can play time and time again especially when you've got the the big box version of it coming out i know you've got a copy leon haven't you i certainly do with all the bells and whistles yeah so that's a that's a classic that we've got and black orchestra we uh we reviewed reviewed black orchestra god years and years ago now and we talked about 
it basically being sort of a more grown up pandemic, you know, it is yeah, definitely for, for me personally, a game that I would rather play over pandemic, just the interesting subject matter, the basic mechanics that you've got, but the ebb and flow of that game I found really interesting. What was your involvement with that one? So Black Orchestra was pretty much already um, done by the time I came on board. Um, like obviously it came out with the first edition, which was like years before I, I came on with the company. Yep. And then by the time they got it back into the print with the second edition, that was kind of more my involvement. So I wasn't, I can't take any credit for any of the gameplay or anything, um, but I helped like with the production and the marketing on the, the second edition and beyond. Yeah, what I love about Black Orchestra is actually like what people tend to hate about it because like you can do everything right and still fail because it's oh, yeah. all based on a dice roll and people hate that. But for me, like, like I love being at like the the whim of the dice basically um <laughs> so like, that's something that really appeals to me and like it's such a historically rich game as well that it feels more authentic to me because like if you go back and read about like all these plots to kill hitler a lot of them were like done very well and like should have worked and just didn't because of like some random weird thing and it's like well that happens <laughs> well, so uh, i'm actually glad that that's in the game absolutely there are assassination attempts that are still happening like you know at Attempts on maybe opposition leaders in Russian countries that, yeah, um, yeah. you know, sometimes don't go to plan. So I think leaving it to chance is, is actually pretty real. <laughs> so, and what, what about nothing personal? Was that something that, again, you were, you're involved in first edition, second edition? Yeah, so probably kind of a similar, sorry, um, okay. to, for a boring answer, but yeah, probably similar to Black Orchestra. Um, so the, the first edition of Nothing Personal came out um, before I was with the company. And then when I was there, um, they came out with the, the new edition, which is the revised edition. So yeah, I was involved with like the marketing and production of that, but uh, none of the gameplay. Oh, that's, that's fine. You've got to have marketing to make it sell to people. Yeah, yeah, that is something that we try to do. Um, I think the first game that I was involved with the gameplay on was probably Everdell. Um, I think that was like my first game development credit. Now, before we talk about Everdell and the behemoth that it is, we should probably <laughs> actually find out a little bit of your um, your, your gaming history because you mentioned that obviously working in promotions and things like that for various organisations, which would have been how you got into this industry. But have you always been a board gamer before that or did you just kind of fall... I don't want to say ass backwards into it, but have you kind of just come into it more of recently? No, um, so I've been a, a video gamer my entire life um, from yep. a very, a very young age. I think I got my first console, which was the Nintendo 64 when I was like six, maybe <laughs> like nice. really young. And I, um, you know, was involved in like the earlier days of PC gaming, um, with, like text-based RPGs and things like that. Um, I loved all of that. So because I was so into video gaming, around like my teen years, I probably got into uh, pen and paper RPGs, like D&D obviously was the gateway. And then from there, it was kind of like a natural progression to board games. So I'm like, I mean, I, I, it sounds relatively new compared to people who have been playing board games their whole lives, but I've, been, I've probably been playing for about 10 years or so, board games specifically. I mean, that's about the standard, really. I think I've only been properly into it myself for about 10 years and Garth probably not that much longer because yeah. before that, board games basically didn't exist. Right, yeah. You had Catan <laughs> at the end of the 90s and then Ticket to Ride, which Garth still doesn't know anything about, somewhere in the 2000s, <laughs> and then things started snowballing from there. Uh, what do you think was some of the earlier board games that you played that um, you really got into before, or probably around that 10 years or so ago? I mean, I had a lot of similar gateway games um, that probably most people have. Uh, def I think like the first modern board game I played was probably Catan. 
and probably more so than like the gameplay making an impact on me was like the experiential nature of it like it's something that uh in high school like my friends and i would play not exactly sober um so <laughs> <laughs> drunken um, people in high school australians would never hear of this <laughs> <laughs> yeah parliament's gonna come haul me out definitely oh, yeah um yeah because you so, probably didn't start young enough to be a proper australian <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I was probably more struck by, um, like the experiences that you could have around them and how it could like unite groups in different ways. Um, and like that age was kind of when we were starting to get more into like our phones and social media and technology and stuff. So like, even at that time when it was not as pervasive as it is now, it was still kind of nice to get like an analog break from all that. Um, so that was probably like the thing that most immediately attracted me to board games was like those early experiences with Catan and my friend group. That's fantastic. And clearly it did make an impact because I'm always curious about people who are in the hobby. And I ask this question of almost everyone is, is there this aha moment where it goes from I enjoy playing these things to I want to be a part of them for you? Is, is, is there that moment or was it just sort of a, a steady incline from board game player to enthusiast to, to being inside the industry? So for me, um, I had been experimenting with um, some like very rudimentary video game design mostly like using uh, this program called Twine, which is like a branching narrative um, design tool. So I, I was quite interested in making video games. I didn't really know like what role I wanted. Like I'd always written quite a lot. So I was like, well, maybe I want to write video games. But then I was also kind of interested in like 3D animation and like tried to learn how to use Blender. And that was like, wow, I'm so not visually talented <laughs> at all. <laughs> like terrible um so i I wasn't really sure what i wanted to do um i was living in california at the time um working in silicon valley and was like kind of trying to break into the board game industry but i was coming from uh pro sports which is like there's like no real mix between those two industries Um, no i won't hear (laughs) (laughs) so it's just it's really hard to like try to make that totally like parallel leap to a completely different industry um so like I didn't know anyone I couldn't break in and then it kind of just like worked out really strangely that I wound up moving um back to New England uh where I'm from to be closer to my family and I was just like looking for jobs back home um and I was not expecting to find like a board game publisher in New Hampshire but um (laughs) that was game salute at the time uh, and so I wound up working with them that's pretty cool and you didn't convince them to make an ice hockey game uh, I didn't. I have, I have yet to play a good ice hockey board game. I'm sure they're out there, but um, I mean, I, I'm such a huge sports fan and like, I, I haven't seen that many great like sports implementations in games. I think it's really tricky. Yeah, absolutely. I reckon there's, there's obviously racing is probably the one that, you know, is done the most successfully. Yeah. But yeah. There's, it's, it's not a genre that has had many hits. I don't think. No, I, I don't know if maybe it's like people are, to put off by the theme like you know I, like there's that stereotype of like board gamers like you know being nerdy and antisocial and like not wanting to <laughs> like engage in sports <laughs> which i think is totally untrue because I, I have like huge overlaps between my groups of like gaming friends and sports friends and there's a lot of intermingling there yeah i don't know exactly what the right reason is i think probably a lot of it is like branding too like a lot of them just don't look quite like professional enough Yep. Well, it's one of the biggest kept <laughs> secrets, I think, in the in the modern world is that the simple fact that if somebody's really into sports, like properly into sports that does things like fantasy teams and knows all stats and stuff, they're a massive nerd as well. 
People just oh, don't yeah. seem to realize that, that, that sports nerds are the most hardcore of nerd. It's just that normally that word doesn't get put on the end of the sentence. We're actually very similar. We're actually more similar to what we think we should be, which is a great thing. We're just going to kind of cross that divide and get some good, get some good sporting board games out there. But it's not, it's not an easy thing to replicate, mainly because I think video games have probably done it so well. Um, but since there's you know a billion and one microtransactions in those games and they're destroying their own industry, maybe board <laughs> games can come along and swoop in and save the day. It's funny, um, Dan and I, uh, during quarantine, or lockdown rather, um, Dan's son has started playing this game called Rocket League. Um, oh, this yeah. is a video game that we play on the PlayStation. You guys are familiar with it? I was playing it last yesterday with my kids. Oh my God. Okay. We're going to have to play. We'll have to like add each other. Yeah. Um, so, so Dan and I started playing as like, Oh, ha ha. Like it'll be something to do with Nick. Like, you know, just something like for fun to do as a family. And now we're like so hardcore about it. Like we have like every night, like we eat dinner and then we're like, okay, we're going to like train Rocket League. Um, <laughs> and we're, like we have our games and we get on the app and we like check you know, our stats and like our progression and stuff. Um, and we were talking about like, if there could be a way to port Rocket League to a board game, like some kind of dexterity game or something, I don't know, might be a little pie in the sky, but we're going to workshop it. Oh, you got time to make it happen. And yeah. obviously, you know, you should, you should definitely buy yourself a game of test match. You know, if, if, if that's not the pinnacle of Australian sports board gaming, I'll have to ask Dan game. what that is. Um, I still, <laughs> I still have not learned the rules to cricket. I'm holding out. Well, uh, hold just, out just, and learn them through test match. Just, just don't pretend like you did. Don't, don't worry. I've got a copy of that over there too. <laughs> so look, moving again back to, to board games, you do profess that you, you like games as art objects and the profound and unique experiences that they offer. What are a couple of games that you, you really gravitate to when, you know, you just want to look at something pretty in a board game box, or if you're looking for that really emotive and profound experience in a game? Definitely. Well, so, I mean, first of all, like Everdell was probably created with that idea in mind. Um, you can say why. <laughs> Dan and I have like very similar sensibilities when it comes to um like aesthetics as a form, basically. So we, we both kind of had that vision for Everdell that it would kind of be a standalone, um, like artistic work uh, as, as well as a board game. I think somebody else who does that super well is, um, I'm gonna shout out my friends at Orange Nebula. Um, they publish Vindication and their next game coming out is Unsettled. Um, they just do like really beautiful work. And I'd say like Vindication is definitely one of those games that, you know, even if I'm not playing it, I'm just like happy that it's sitting on my shelf as I would be like with a, <laughs> like a beautiful picture hanging or something um, that feels the same way to me. Yeah. Uh, it's so true. And I actually, I was lucky enough just to get given a deck of cards for, for my birthday, but it was every single card is unique art and it's designed by a company that specialized in alcohol branding for, mm. you know, for grog and each piece of card, I just want to hang up on my wall because they yeah. are absolute stunningly beautiful. And Leon has taken their cards from hand of the King the you know, little oh, card yeah, yeah. there and he's put them into coaster sleeves. So he's got his gaming coasters. So I oh, think you're so cool. to the converted when it comes to, we like these board games just to look at because sometimes they're just damn pretty. Yeah, totally. And like, I probably sometimes get too esoteric with it. Um, so, you know, like I said, I have a background in uh, like classical, like art music and in, in like academic music, we have a lot of philosophical conversations about like well what is music does a piece exist if nobody hears it or like if it's unplayable is it still music so like I've always been interested in those ideas so the idea of like you know a board game still being this like 
art, art object, even if like it's not being played is like an attractive idea to me. Um, obviously I still want people to play the games that we make, <laughs> um, but I, I do like it when um, the game can, can stand on its own in that way also. It, it's a nice marriage when it does both things at the same time. Yeah. So now we've mentioned it a few times, so now we need to talk about the proper, the, the big daddy in the room, which is Everdell. So what was your involvement um, on Everdell? And I mean, I know you were there from the start and it's become, yeah. I think everyone knew it was going to be a success once well most people when they first saw it but i'm guessing it's probably even more of a success than you guys thought it was going to be yeah it, it was pretty um we were all kind of floored by it like obviously we all believed in the game really strongly and like in, invested heavily in the game you know the art was uh, done by the awesome andy bosley and um you know there's a lot of art in that game oh, um yeah, so, so the upfront investment in the game was was substantial and we wouldn't have done that if we didn't believe in it. Probably weren't expecting it to be like one of the most acclaimed games of like the past <laughs> decade or so. Yeah. Um, it's like, I, th- I think when I last checked BGG, it was like in the top 50. So it's, yeah, I don't, I don't think any of us were expecting quite that result. Obviously, we're really, really happy that was the case. So whose idea was the big ass tree? Where'd that come from? <laughs> uh, that, that would be my Lord husband, Dan. Um, tree. <laughs> tree was his idea, definitely. He can take full credit for that. I do have I to just... say though, it, it does get in the way sometimes. Oh, Ooh, oh you're one of those people. Oh, yes, it, it might get in the way, but I'm I'm 100% glad that it's there. I wouldn't want it any other way. No, I, I, can... I, I, I agree, I agree. And I can absolutely hear Dan's voice in my head just one day just going, I'm going to put a tree in this game. <laughs> Listen, mate, you got to have the tree, right? That's my, that's my That's my exactly how he Yeah, thank you. Well, I don't he think it looks most... like a eucalypt, does it? Yes, it doesn't look like a gum tree. Because no. Dan yeah. does have the most Australian accent we've all ever heard. He, he does, yeah. Although He um... does not at all. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it sounds very Australian. Um <laughs> But, but yeah, so the, the tree was his idea, and um, actually the whole theme was his idea. He's the one that rethemed the game. Um, when Everdell mm-hmm. came to us, it was uh, like kind of a generic, like medieval town theme, and Dan's the one that cooked up the the woodland critter idea. That is cool. So look, what about you? What what are these games that you draw to? What what's the game that is your? Let's say, for example, you are locked inside for six to eight weeks. Now, what games do you go back to again and again of the board game variety? I love, so like my favorite games are definitely narrative type games, like things with a through line where you can make significant choices. So unfortunately, like the real answer to your question is I work too much to actually play games. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> the, the dirty secret of working in the board game industry is I don't actually get to play them anymore. Yeah. Um, if I could actually play a game... <laughs> Um, I would love to like go back to Descent. Like I love dungeon crawlers. That would be super fun. I feel bad kind of like promoting my own games, but like uh, I finished, I wrapped my development on role player adventures a few months ago and I would, I would love to get role player adventures back out and play a different storyline in that. Cause it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at my shelf, like, mm, what could I play? Uh, tell us a little bit more about role player adventures and your um, your involvement in that because that is a game that the base role player is a game that's been one of the dice men's favorite for the last few years um when yeah, garth, when garth actually brings all the components to oh, for okay. us to play <laughs> and just doesn't forget half the dice for some reason that one time no i had um, all the dice i just didn't have any of the character boards and we had to play yahtzee 
That's right. We played Yahtzee with Roleplay Dice because oh, we were at the pub and we thought, why not? Um, yes. So, uh, and I, for one, definitely backed the the, the Roleplayer, um, the adventures that is coming soon. So that's now going to take oh, up an entire you. shelf in my cabinet, yeah, which I'm looking forward to. It's a behemoth. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved with that bad boy. Yeah. So I was working on that game through um, John Breger at Breger Creative. Mm-hmm. He was working with Thunderworks Games, the publisher, um, and wanted to bring on another developer. So I ended up getting synced up with him. And that was just like a really amazing project. Um, Roleplayer is one of my favorite games as well. I love dice games. I love any kind of kind of like puzzly min-maxing game that's like totally my jam i I, people complain about like multiplayer solitaire and stuff i'm like please give me more multiplayer solitaire (laughs) i beg you (laughs) so like role player really appeals to me um as a system so when i found out that they were expanding the role player system into like a quasi legacy like storytelling game it's like yes that is exactly what i would like to do so that was a great process getting to work on that for several months um it's a huge amount of content it was a really big undertaking like a team of several people so i think people are really going to be excited by it it's there's a lot there <laughs> <laughs> so when can people get their copies of that is that something that is you know years away or you just you've done your bit and um people can just sit tight and wait yeah, no, I, I think they're, um, I'm not involved with the actual publishing process. So I'm not sure exactly. But um, yeah, I've been wrapped on it for a few months. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure it's all going swimmingly from what I've seen the Kickstarter updates. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for it to, to come out and um, to get like a proper copy of it. I have my prototype copy still here um, that I'll probably take out and play again. But I'm really excited to see the final product. Fantastic. And what have you been working on now? What have you been doing lately? If at all, you can tell us anything. Yeah, definitely. So there's quite a few things going on. Well, so at, at the beginning of this year, um, we are, I had started a company called uh, Quill Silver Studio. Which I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you know, it's a, a company that provides tabletop services, um, helps people make games, basically. So I have several clients under Quill Silver that range like from marketing. Dan uh, has clients that he works with, with um, art direction, uh, graphic design, illustration. And then we both have clients that we work with on game development. So it's, it's quite like a kind of holistic process because we, we, we like to be involved like in every stage of the game creation process. We like having that like kind of visibility and certain degree over control of the final product. That's kind of how we prefer to work. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a lot going on there, um, just through all of our different clients. I have, I think, three Kickstarters coming up in like the next three months. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so that's quite a bit. Um, <laughs> we have a few games that we're developing right now. Uh, two of them haven't like been officially announced, but one of them is with um, Everything Epic. is a new edition of Agents of Smirsh. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so that'll be I really did, fun. I did hear about that. I'm interested in that very much. Yeah, so. yeah, that's going to be really fun. And a little bit similar to role player in that it's, you know, a storytelling game, like you're reading through this encounter book and rolling for results and choosing your path and everything. So I've been getting to write on that, which has been really fun. And then um, also helping with the development um, with John Breger again um, from Breger Creative. So that's been really great. Wonderful. No wonder. This, this lockdown thing's actually probably good for you. You must be very productive. We, we have been productive at the sake of <laughs> everything else. <laughs> the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we did have Kim Brayback from Good Games Publishing on uh, a couple of episodes ago, or maybe the last one, they, they all kind of blur in, mm-hmm. saying that they had, uh, you know, started taking advantage of Quill Silver services. So how have they been like to work with? Oh, well, like, 
they're just lovely people totally it's a nice change to get to work with people who are in the same time zone as me which is (laughs) something i really take for granted um yeah yeah that's been lovely um they have some really exciting games coming out um like obviously guild masters just now shipping the kickstarter backers and then um the unfair sequel funfair is going to be coming out uh this winter which i'm just like i'm so pumped about um like, like i find unfair really fun i don't I just personally like don't love um, take that in my games sure. and Funfair is like my ideal version of unfair. It's so much fun. I think people are really going to love it. Yeah. I was lucky enough to play a copy a few years ago in, in the packs with, with Joel. And uh, I think Kim may have mentioned that, was that right Liam? They're aiming for around the end of the year, something like that. I, think I believe November. that was what he talked about. Yeah. It was somewhere near the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I dare say that that'll uh, that'll be a very successful game. I would anticipate based on the the you know enduring love that people have for Unfair because it, it's got a, a pretty dedicated community behind it, and yeah. Joel just does not stop developing that. Oh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, Unfair is a great game. I still enjoy it very much. It's just like Funfair takes out like the little bits that like aren't my favorite parts of Unfair, um, and just kind of streamlines them into like a little bit of a kinder experience um, yeah. which works really well <laughs> exactly right but unfair is a great game to play with people that don't know that that second half of the game is coming <laughs> because i must admit the first time we played it which would have been pax uh, like five or so years ago joel sat us down and played and taught us and he didn't tell us specifically what's going to happen in the last oh half of the gosh. game and, oh it was a bit of a shock when i was just like this is fun we're building a theme park everything's so pretty and lovely and oh garth's just shut down my entire park because he's said that everyone there is sick and horrible that's just that's <laughs> not good but yes no it's good good so, fun. so before we cut to a cheeky little break and then we come back and talk to you about the game that we've got you here to talk about uh we said before we started recording that you have done some uh, some keynote speaking and whatnot of late on the digital front, seeing as that everybody is at home in front of a computer but can't actually physically get there. So how have those been going for you? Yeah, so I did um, one panel for PAX Online, which is coming out on the last day of PAX, um, that Sunday, which mm-hmm. is called the ABCs of Community Building. So it's myself and a bunch of other um, like really amazing, outstanding community managers um, working in the game scene, not just tabletop games. Yeah, just talking about like our experiences, sharing advice, tips, best practices. Um, I think hopefully people that work in marketing will find that really interesting. Um, And then also recently I gave the keynote speech at the tabletop workshop at um, a conference called FDG, which is the foundation for digital games. They've since added a tabletop forum and I, I keynoted that, which was my first time doing that, which was quite terrifying, but hopefully, hopefully people got something out of it. Excellent. What was the topic on that one? Uh, I'm, I'm like, sorry to be so like nerdy about this. Um, <laughs> don't so... ever say that. That's a horrible thing to say. Yeah, no, you, 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 go, you feel your boots. Okay, we, don't understand so... the, we don't understand a word of the next sentence you say. That's great. It just means you're doing better than us. So, so the topic of the of the, the talk was board games through the lens of a Wagnerian Gesamt Kunstwerk. Yep, perfect. <laughs> Yep, see, there, right, we knew some of those games. We knew some of those words. Our board games, we know those. Yeah. <laughs> Wagner, I've heard, of, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I was in music school, um, I, I studied a lot of composers, but one of the composers I studied was Richard Wagner, and um, he popularized this idea of the Gesamtkunstwerk, 
which is a German word that basically means like a total synthesized work of art. So it's basically me looking at board games like through that lens and evaluating and creating board games with this idea of like the, the Gesamtkunstwerk in mind um, to create like a total complete like holistic vision of a game um so that's basically like my and dan's like overarching vision for game creation and kind of what we're trying to do with quillsilver fantastic so does this mean you're going to add soundtracks to board game releases you know i would love to i've actually never been asked um but yeah that is the thing that i can do so if anybody's interested let me know (laughs) Oh, look, I, I love it because, you know, we've played Nemesis a couple of times, Leon, and I've, we mm. played it in my games room when, the, and there's a three and a half hour YouTube clip, which mm. is just atmospheric alien style music. Same thing for U-Boot, the submarine warfare game. Yeah. And I'm just playing with the o- ocean waves crashing in the background. It, it, it adds an extra yeah. level of, of involvement and atmosphere. And Totally. Yeah. You know, awesome. I, I'm all for it. So make that happen, please. <laughs> but look as leon says we better throw to a little bit of a break and the break will include leon telling people to i don't know give us money on patreon or something i dare say leon Uh, and then we'll get to come back about the i'd say the game on everyone's lips but they are only whispering the type of game it is because we are going to talk uh, a little bit about a war of whispers and we will do that after the break so we do have to say this show and every show is thankfully supported by LFG, Looking for Gamers. You can go and choose to buy all your games from them online at lfg-ausaus.com.au and we will be back after this break. Hello everybody, it's your friendly neighbourhood Leon here. Just a quick break in the action to remind everybody how you can interact with the Dice Men. Of course, we are on all those social medias, so things like your Instagrams, your Facebook, your Twitters, we're on all of them at Dice Men Cometh. You can also email us at the Dice Men Cometh at gmail.com. That's a great way to get in touch with us for things like asking any type of questions, but also sponsorship. We've been doing that for several years now with various different promotions and ads, and you can be involved in that too if you like. Also, if you wish to help the Dice Man Cometh, you can get onto iTunes and chuck us one of those cheeky five-star reviews. It helps people from around the world get to listen, and we've met some great international listeners because of that. So the more you can do that, the merrier. And if you would like, we also have our Patreon. You can go over there and chuck us a few bucks, completely up to you. Even if you threw us a dollar a month, you would not notice out of your bank account, but we certainly would. If everybody listening to my voice did that, we would be happy as Larry. And we use that money to good effect. We use it to get to various different conventions all around Australia. It ain't easy getting around this big old country that we have, but we manage and we do it because we want to meet you and play as many games as possible. Or you could jump over to redbubble.com, chuck in the Dice Men Cometh, and have any of our merch with our logo on it. We've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, there are mugs, there are heaps of cool stuff over there. I've got quite a bit of it, and it all looks grand. So, with all that being said, thank you very much for listening and supporting us over the years. We absolutely love doing this show, and hopefully we'll be doing it for a long time to come, and your support is one of the main drivers of that. So feel free to get in touch about anything to do with board gaming or anything whatsoever. But enough of my chit-chat, back to the action. So there you go. That was someone with something, or if it uh, was Leon, it was Leon with his hands out begging for money. You are with the Dice Men Cometh. It's episode 300 and something something, and it is proudly sponsored by LFG, 
looking for gamers, please buy your games from them. Now, we have come to that time in the show where we're talking about the game that everyone who hasn't watched Shut Up and Sit Down really wants <laughs> to know about A War of Whispers from two guys who have played it a bit and someone who was really involved in it. Leon, over yes. to you. Okay. Uh, it's 314 is the episode number, by the way, oh, Garth. Cool. So well, I just thought I'd let you know before... <laughs> Before I put on my proper promo guy voice now, five mighty empires are at war for the world. Their banners fly boldly. They march towards glory. The ferocity of the bear, the pride of the lion. I like those guys because I have lions tattooed on me. The endurance of the horse. I thought you were joking about the lions or the, the tattoos earlier. <laughs> Lion. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. A Final <laughs> Fantasy eight lion. So there you go. Oh, wow. Even cooler. Anyway, back to the cool guy voice. <laughs> the reach of the eagle. Because that's the perfect sentence to say with the cool guy voice. I think you'll find the reach of the eagle. Mm. <laughs> and the power of the elephant. Come the dawn, the world will be remade and one emperor will rule over them all. But in the shadows, that's where true power lies. The serpent, the spider, the raven and the rat. This is not a war for the mighty with battles waged on the open battlefield. This is a war fought by empires unseen. This is a war of whispers. That sounds like a game, doesn't it? I'm so sorry. I don't, I'm not laughing at your reading. I'm laughing because <laughs> that just like triggered this memory in my brain of when we were um, doing the Kickstarter video for this game mm -hmm. and we were hiring a voice actor and actually Dan recorded like the first voiceover <laughs> for that. just as bad, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, um, I think he's over there, so I won't say anything too much about it. But... Um, <laughs> But needless to say, it's playing in my head right now. And it's excellent. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not, I'm not actually a voiceover. I don't get paid to do... Well, I kind of get paid to do this. So, yeah, I'm professional. Yeah. What are you talking about? I'm awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, A War of Whispers. So, A War of Whispers is a competitive board game for two to four players. Although, I would highly recommend you play with four every single time. Um, yeah. <laughs> five mighty empires are at war for the world. But you are... But you are no mighty ruler. Instead, you'll be playing a secret society who is betting on the results of the war while pulling strings behind the scenes to rig the results and ensure your bets pay off. A War of Whisper is a game of deep strategy, hidden agenda, and shifting loyalties. So, now that I've got the kind of brief description out of their way, before I actually talk about some of the rules of this game and um, how we went with playing it. So, Brennan, please tell us about the War of Whispers and uh, your involvement in this little beauty. Yeah, so War of Whispers was a game that we published with Game Salute. It's a like area control, um, hidden kind of like hidden loyalty game, um, where you are instead of playing as like the army on the battlefield, you're actually playing as these like secret societies that are pulling the strings behind the scenes. So what's interesting about it is every player has access to like everything that's happening on the board. Like you don't have your army, you can control every army because you're just somebody who's trying to manipulate things and your opponents don't know like where your loyalties are they might match they might be different you may be working against each other or like unwittingly with each other um it's really fun we were kind of trying to capture the feel of a war game but in a tighter playing time like that 60 minute playing time yeah i mean when we the first game we played which was with four of us obviously that have never played it before and this mm -hmm. is based off watching uh, probably some small um, YouTube tutorial video. I think it was nearly just over an hour we knocked it off, wasn't yeah. it, Garth? It felt like. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you're only playing it out over four rounds. The mm -hmm. first round, you're going to do two things. 
and then it you know, obviously snowballs from there. But I, I have to say, love a round board. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. We love a good round board. Yeah, so. there are not enough of these in the hobby, so that was cool. And when I walked into Leon's house and saw it set up on his game I, I was convinced we were going to be playing a five player game because there were five armies five different colors mm-hmm. already to go yeah. and I was a bit confused I must say that was um it was good to be confused for this old brain yeah it does take a second you're just like hang on there's five armies there's four of us it's a four player game I'm not controlling this army you're con- no we're all controlling the army but we're also not controlling it's very confusing but once you actually yeah. play the game and realize once your preconceptions go out the window you realize that oh no this works perfectly it's just my br- my brain can't think of this way it's supposed to be yeah well it is like a different a different approach to like the dudes on a map style game yeah. when we used to demo it at conventions my pitch was basically like okay think of game of thrones but like you're not robert baratheon you're Varys. is basically yeah the pitch and then people are like oh okay i get it yeah yes so i I think that's probably like getting people over that first hurdle is the first step and then like i hopefully you guys found the game unfolds really smoothly from there Uh, i think it's pretty fair to say we may have but we'll leave that to the end hey oh okay yeah we're not gonna we're (laughs) not going we're not going to slag it off wholeheartedly at the start we wait to the end of the interview so you know because you got to get the offense in at the end because that's why you get get people listening the whole way through Um, yeah yeah, yeah. and and it's also fair to say so this game came out there was the first version of it that came out on kickstarter did relatively well and then as garth mentioned before the the shut up and sit down review which it was just it was a thing that i think i'd seen the kickstarter and i don't know if there was other things on kickstarter at the time that took my attention away so i was like this looked interesting but didn't really think too much about it to be perfectly honest Mm -hmm. and then as soon as i watched that shut up and sit down review i was like this literally sounds like a game design for me. Why have I not bought this? Why am I not playing this right now? Yeah, totally. Like it, it was kind of like a modest success on Kickstarter. It didn't yep. like blow up or anything like that. It did decently well through retail. So it, it like sold okay. It probably wouldn't have been reprinted, I, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And then the, I, I think probably like the barrier to that first Kickstarter was probably like what I just mentioned was people maybe not immediately grasping or us not conveying well enough like that initial pitch of like how you're actually manipulating things on the board and how it relates to what the other players are doing and that it's not just like a dudes on the map area control game but that it's a little bit more like underhanded than that yeah and i think once people saw that shut up and sit down video like like, yeah honestly based on that video like it basically sold out the print line um it was kind of crazy like immediately and then yeah there's since been a follow-on kickstarter for the expansion which did very well um so i'm glad that the game's you know, getting some good attention because it's a good game and the designer's awesome. <laughs> Even if he's sitting, you know, not too far away from you. <laughs> oh, well, well, the designer's actually um, Jeremy Stoltzfus. Oh, that's Dan right, Jeremy, that's d- right. D- yeah, Dan and I did develop it. Um, yeah, Jeremy's a great guy. That's very, very true. So this game, we mentioned before roughly kind of how it works, but how does it, you know, a bit more in-depth how it works. So when you start the game, you've got uh, five different loyalty slots on your board that you will randomly assign these tokens to. And now the basic example of this is that the token at the top or the um, the left, they're the faction you're devoted to. They're the faction that if they score points at the end of the game, you're going to get four times that amount of points. And the faction on the right-hand side you want to do the least because you will get minus one for everything they do. So you want to make sure they do very, very badly. And everyone around the table is going to have a different configuration of those, which one of those things that as soon as I heard that, just that 30 second pitch of that idea alone, 
made me want to play the game before I saw the rest of it and went, everything else looks good. But just that idea alone was just like, that's an awesome idea to start any game with. I agree, Leon. I think that was one of those things where you just sit down and it immediately drags you in because it immediately gives you agency in these five different colors and you go, I don't like blue anymore. They need to die. Whereas red, let's go to Redsville and spread it around the world because that's just so cool. But it's not necessarily how you're going to win the game because you've got to win the game with your second and third place more than likely because you'll get to it. But by the end of the game, there's a fair chance a few people will have the same, same faction at the top of the board. Yeah, and definitely like kind of slow playing what your chosen faction is is a strategy that I really enjoy because if you come out swinging too early, then you run the risk of like showing your hand and people like ganging up on you. So you like you definitely can just like totally sabotage the faction that you're least aligned with and go to town with the one that you're most aligned with. But it's usually good to like play a little bit more balanced, at least like in the first and second round and then start turning up the heat once you get like more agents to place it's it's like additive um as it goes around the board you get more and more placements until the board is totally filled up yeah so when you start playing this game you're going to be first as you mentioned putting out agents on the board onto the various different uh spots around the edge of it which again is a lovely mechanic to see just visually when you see all the agents going around the side of the board and, and it's in perfect order for when you reveal them as well and play their actions which is great and they're going to be doing things like adding more guys to the armies they're going to be moving them around you're going to be using different cards that you have to affect the way that the game plays and then the next phase you're going to be actually executing those actions in a complete order which again just looks really nice on the table and plays really well yeah that's something that we're really proud of i guess is the overall like design and flow of the board because it's a game where it's it's like literally impossible to get lost in it because literally every action is telegraphed like as you go around the board so as long as you're following the board like you can't get lost you can't forget where you are you won't forget whose turn it is it's yeah that was definitely like a an interface triumph i think i agree and teaching it is a breeze using that because it it answers almost any question before someone even asks it. And more games need to have that kind of clarity around how this is actually going to play out. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, not to let, not to keep like harping back to this, but that's just kind of like getting back to what, what I've been talking about, like integrated game design and like holistic game design, like because, you know, Dan and I developed the game, we were like super intimate with its mechanics and like knew the mechanics inside and out. So when Dan was working on the board, he understood like what information players needed most and like what flow of information would allow like the mechanics to reveal themselves. Um, and so players wouldn't get lost. Um, so that's just like one example of that system working really well. <laughs> cool. Mm. And the cool thing about as well with those different loyalty slots, as we mentioned, that there's only four rounds in this game. So there are times at the end of each round, you can change your loyalties if you can see well i have the army that i really want to win has got completely wiped out here so i need to change this around but when you do that you reveal your loyalty to everybody else so that everybody knows something about you and you don't necessarily know something about them which again in a game that is so quick but very early on it it just gives you that extra bit of information and it gives you that extra feeling of there's nothing better than knowing something about your opponent and they don't know anything about you but it doesn't necessarily put them in a disadvantage it could even put them in an advantage that they don't have to worry about it as much as you do so there's a lot of play going on for a game that moves so smoothly did you guys reveal in your play um leon's a simple fella (laughs) 
Leon yeah. likes to go hard and go early. And mm-hmm. um, he may have been the first to reveal very early on. I'm more of a, a third or fourth, fourth round kind of guy. Leave it till the end and um, go hard then maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same. Like, I'm an Aries, so I'm very stubborn. So I'm more of the mind of like, no, I'm going to make this place more. work. Like, <laughs> screw all these other people. I'm not showing them anything. I'm going after red and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It must be said though, I guess, in our first game, Leon, when we played, it ended up that three out of the four of us had very similar boards. They, they obviously weren't that way at the start of the game, yep. but it was, a very, it, was, it was first, second, third, a point between them. I think 49, 48, 47 or something. And then there was like fourth place on maybe 30 points or something who just, um, it was a good three-player game, wasn't it, Leon? Yeah, well, to be fair, our friend um, John, he did have, I think his number one faction was the green faction that we did wipe off the board pretty much before like the end of the second round, which yeah. was great yeah. fun for all of us <laughs> that didn't have that anywhere near there, but he was a, a little bit boned. But he ended up swapping stuff around and doing not too badly in the end. He just kind of, yeah. got, by that point, he was kind of well and truly done, but what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, those action cards that you have as well that you can do various different things with, and the more action cards, you can spend them for different symbols on them to do more powerful actions, as well as having um, the treasure cards, which are like wild cards, and then the conquest cards, which add um, events and stuff as well to it. Just extra little bibs and bobs, which don't extend the playtime of the game in the slightest, but they just add that extra flair to it. So it is so much like... Like, if you take all the mechanics we've just talked about, it is very much like dudes on a map type of games. However, as you mentioned before, it's not because you're not controlling the army directly. Everyone's kind of having their go. And it just plays so quickly where those type of games just don't, no matter how you go about it. But there's still the same amount of strategy in like an hour-long board game. And that itself is something I think to be commended to. Yeah, thanks so much. And I think a lot of those things just arise like out of preference like sometimes games are kind of a reflection of their creators and obviously like the design is is jeremy's and he did an amazing job with it and then dan and i helped with the development but all all three of us i'd say like or at least definitely for me and dan we don't have a huge tolerance for games that like overstay their welcome like i'm i'm really happy for to have a really good experience in like 45 to 90 minutes that's kind of like my sweet spot generally. Mm-hmm. So most of the games that we we work on, we try to get within that that time frame just because it's what we like. And hopefully there's enough other people out there whose interests <laughs> align with that. But yeah, like like for me, I, I just don't really have like the, the attention span or like the sheer time, honestly, to like sit down and play like a four hour war game anymore. Unfortunately, like I'm sure it'd be really fun. I, I just can't do it. So that was definitely like a conscious decision that we wanted to give that experience to people that either like aren't able to or don't have the desire to sit down and play a game like that. No, that makes complete sense. Now, before we jump to my and Garth's final thoughts, where we very uncomfortably slagged your game off in front of you. (laughs) Uh, So the second edition of this came out on Kickstarter, and uh, I I was one of the people that backed it straight away the second I saw it, which was good. But this adds a small expansion to the game, which is Dark Alliance. Now, um, tell us a little bit about this expansion. I've just written down here that the basic concept of these cards which added to the game is that you can now play cards, but you can play it on opponents' turns that can help you, but you also have to help them in the process. And just that one sentence alone to this game, ga- it makes perfect sense for this game. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because we actually designed that pack um, with the initial game. So that pack has like existed for 
a couple at least a couple of years now mm -hmm. like physically existed like it was printed with the base game yeah, in wow. the first print run yep. um i don't know if i'm supposed to say that but um yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so we, we worked on that pack at the same time um and then it, it ended up not getting included in the first kickstarter and then they just ran a follow-on kickstarter for it years later but yeah those are really fun to work on so they're basically the packs called dark alliances where you can form these like dark alliances with your opponents so it might say something like you know say say somebody's controlling like the green elephant empire and they're about to make an attack in maybe i'll say like hey i have this card i can add like two more banners which are like the troops to your attack so i can make your attack stronger but in return like let me take your next agent placement um like like that turn's gonna go to me um, that's just an example. So it's a lot of things like that, these like little trade-offs uh, to try to curry favor with your opponents and hopefully find things that will work in both of your favors. I like it. I like the sound of that. That looks good. Because look, I mean... Yeah, it's a lot of know, fun. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll get to our final, final thoughts, I guess. Leon, unless there's anything else you would like to ask, Brennan, before we get to that, mate. Uh, no, it's, um, it's good. Please make games like this more for the rest of time, please. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Um, I would love to. That would be great. <laughs> and since this game is so short and so succinct, why don't you, just for a laugh, why don't you just make like a Twilight Imperium killer and make like an eight-hour version of this? Just just for giggles. You've got plenty of time at the moment, so why not? Just like a quick eight-hour jaunt. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll work on that next. Lovely. Definitely. That'll be my next quarantine project. Thank you. So, Garthy boy, um, unfortunately, I've only had a chance to play this once during all this you know, lockdown shenanigans and whatnot. Uh, but you've had a chance to play it a couple of times now. So tell me your thoughts on the old game. Yeah, well, look, when I, um, when I first read it, when I first saw it, my mind immediately compared it to Inish, which is one of my favourite dudes on a map game up there with Cyclades as well. But the thing that won it for me is the fact that you have to be invested in the faction that you don't care about. That is, a, is an absolute masterstroke. I love the fact that you have to care about the army that you want to lose because if you don't yeah. care about them, you're not going to have any agency over them. And that that's a winner for me, Brenna. So I hope that was your idea. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of like communal flow of information. Yeah, definitely. but they're not here. Um, Just take the credit for it. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, like ha having an active hand like in that empire's downfall is I think really important because it would be so easy to just like, neglect them and like not care about them and just say like oh well, that's my weakest slot so like i'm just not going to give that any credence but that that choice where you actually have to decide because you only have so many agents to place like do i uplift my like most loyal empire or try to take down my like least favorable empire like that's a really interesting choice i think and and yeah you can be really penalized if you don't give enough credence to that lower placed empire like it can can really hurt you if other empires are gunning for them Absolutely. And just, you know, that coupled with the fact that each of the four factions are just different enough. You know, I was looking at it not too long ago, the board and, you know, the bears who are, sorry, yeah, the bears who are the ones who go first. I think you can do three attack actions or out of the four spaces, but then you've got the lions who go forth and they only get one opportunity to, to attack. So each of these factions is a little bit different unless you've got the cards and the cards are where it just adds that extra bit of flavor because the card faction abilities are all unique. They're all different. There are combos that make you want to get different factions, cards or, or, or put together. And you're just cramming so much into that experience for an hour, hour and a half. You can sit down and play your first game and go, 
oh, I get it now. And then go back and play it straight again, knowing a little bit more about the intricacies. So I, I think it's a real winner. Um, the deluxe version yeah. looks really specky with those extra bits of, you know, bling, I guess, to make it nice. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a cracker. I'm really, really happy to have played this and I look forward to playing it again. Oh, thanks so much. Yes. So um, I will echo pretty much everything just Garth just said. The idea of it I thought was awesome. Uh, and when I got it to the table, it was pretty much exactly everything that I expected it to be. And as I said, to have that and the game that we had with all the different, the fun that we had and the kind of, you know, screwing over each other when we kind of knew, you kind of figured out who was going after what race and whatever. It was really good. But to have that all in an hour and such an easy game. Like I played this, it was probably a month ago now because a little bit behind the curtain, we've been trying to do this interview with Brenda for a very long time. Uh, But we keep kind of having things come up, unfortunately, but it happens. But I could still, I think, put this to the table right now. And I reckon I could probably explain the rules and play it relatively confidently straight away after only playing it once before like a month ago. And that is something that in this day and age, is so so important to have a board game that you can have on a shelf because they're the reasons you will play it you'll get it off the shelf and go we're going to play this because i remember how it plays it plays well it plays quick and there's no faffing around but before we move on i want to i don't want to say anything negative because i don't really have anything negative but i do have you a can sl- be negative it's all right no, i'm I, not too precious no about it. oh don't worry we absolutely have been in the past don't you worry when we have <laughs> negative things to say we will say it it's more a concern and i can't really say too much because i've only played it the once my concern would be and you would definitely know this brendan because you would have played this play tested this a bazillion times yeah does it get to the point where a lot of the final rounds of this game are very similar in that a lot of people just they look at the board see how things are going and a lot of people change their alliances to be very similar to each other is that a thing that happens quite a lot that can happen. Um, I do, I do, I have encountered like a lot of people are kind of like me where they're like kind of like ideologically opposed to the idea of changing their alliances. And and sometimes like things may be like so close where like, you know, between like second and third or something where you're not really sure which one it's going to be. Yes. Um, Because, because you can only make that decision um, at the end of a round. So like at so you can make it at the end of the third round and then going into the fourth round, like you're, you're done. That's like whatever your placement is, then is final. Um, and so much can happen in that fourth round where it can literally like go from one end to the other um, because that's when you get the most actions. So, so quite a lot can still, can still happen. There probably is like some, some risk of that happening, honestly. Um, like in any kind of game that I think has hidden loyalties like that, that can be revealed and switched around, you, you run the risk of like, a little bit of swinginess there and like that's kind of just something that we at the end of the day like accepted there was some like inherent risk of that because it is like important to the the core like ideology of the game I think um that that's in there so like yeah honestly like there probably is some risk of that happening um my hope would be though that like if that does happen like people still had a really great time or it happens and then like that last round is so explosive it doesn't matter or like people just aren't that interested in changing their loyalties and they want to play out the hand that they were dealt yeah cool well the reason i wanted to mention it was because i don't think it's a negative because i my assumption is that this is probably a thing that's just going to happen a lot on people's first plays through the game i think Mm. that a lot of people's first play of the game 
they will probably get to the end and a lot of people will do the switching loyalties to kind of see how the map whereas once you've played it a couple of times and you can see the nuances of the way things are going you might switch some loyalties up but they're probably not necessarily going to be the most obvious one you might try and do the more yeah. subtle second or third place one to try and get the win as opposed to like i said when you play it for the first time and you don't really know as well what you're doing you'll chuck it more towards the more obvious choice and it might look a bit samey. But as I said, this is based off one play that took an hour, so it was completely fine. <laughs> but um, it needed to be mentioned because Garth and I played, uh, I don't know if you've played it, Brennan, it's a big party social deduction game called Two Rooms and a Boom. Have you played that? I actually have not played that. Yeah, okay. So we played that at a convention once and we played three games of it in a row. And yeah. the game was really fun because it involved like, was it 20 odd people, I think, Garth? Yeah, yeah 20 people. And it was great fun. We had a really good time. The problem was, from a game design standpoint, all three of those games came down to the final decision every time, and it was the exact same final decision every time. It was the... Because one person in that game is, um, like, the president, and one person plays as the bomb, and you want to make sure that the person with the bomb and the president aren't in the same room together. So all three of those games... Depending on what side you're on, yeah. Yeah, all three of those games came down to we've both figured out who the president is, we've both figured out who the bomb is. Is it going to be, are you going to send them to us or send them back? That was pretty much the only... So, like, the game itself had left a bit of a bad taste in our mouth because it was good fun, but it was like, from mechanically, if it's going to end the same every time, kind of, why bother? But... Yeah, and if it if it limits your choices so much, then I think that doesn't yield the greatest... And that's the thing, is that you can have lots of fun with many many games but if you know how the end is going to end every time it would not be mm-hmm. that enjoyable that being said like i just said before i think this game would mitigate that very easily with slight decisions here and there and the fact that there is five different factions and lots of different ways that it can be played and after yeah. playing it a couple of times it would definitely be different every time so that is good to hear yeah and and maybe the next expansion there can just be a giant yes. tree in the middle. <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> A giant yeah. farm. And just make it like every space. and just make it like every other war game because they sell as well. So just do that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, just my last note on it was um, yeah, like we kind of talked about player count briefly, but um, it is you know really great with all four players, and it's like a very not like chaotic, but it is like a very active experience with four players. Yep. Um, I also really enjoy it with two. It's a really different experience. It's much more like I feel like you have to be more careful with two players because with four players, like you know, you, you have to keep an eye on three other players as well as monitor what you're doing. So I almost feel like you can hide more, like there's not as much scrutiny on you. Mm-hmm. Whereas with two players, like, you know, everything you do, your opponent's doing like mental calculus about like where your loyalties are. Um, so I actually yeah. really, I know people usually say they prefer it at higher player counts, but I actually really like it at two players also for that reason. Ah. Well, I have to give that a go. Well, look, Brenna, before we let you go, we better give you the opportunity, as we do all our guests, to um, do a little bit more self-promotion. So, so where can people find you on the big, wide, wide, world wide web? Wide web? Well, <laughs> yeah, that one. Seamless, Garth. Seamless. Yeah, I'm not, I will never shy away from self-promotion. Uh, I am a pro- literally a professional promoter, so happy to do that. Um, people can find me personally on Twitter. I'm on Twitter quite a bit, at Brenna Noonan, which is just my name. Uh, brennanoonan.com on instagram at brennan games i'm also on twitch at brennanoonan um usually streaming like D or overwatch or something um and then if people are interested in checking out quillsilver studio they can check that out at quillsilver.com 
um, or on Twitter at by Quillsilver, B-Y Quillsilver. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting us into your lounge room. <laughs> Please say hello to your lovely husband for us. Well. And um, yeah, again, congratulations on, um, well, obviously the back catalogue of games that you've been involved with, but most uh, most recently, A War of Whispers, because yes, it is an absolute Oh, thank winner. you so much. Really appreciate it. It's great to talk to you guys. And we're looking forward to coming down to Tassie soon. Yes, that's yeah. the spirit. And we're very, very <laughs> happy and <laughs> proud that young Dan has um, dragged you here from the Northern Hemisphere down to, yes. to, to form Quillsilver. It is um, not just because you're here. It is a lovely thing. To, the more we can get in Australia, promotion-wise, business-wise, anything to do with board games, the better. And, and obviously, you two definitely know what you're doing. So hopefully, it's a fruitful thing for many, many years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And like we, we both just have so much love for the obviously Dan's been entrenched in it for a long time and me just for the last couple of years but like the Australian board gaming community is just like so amazing so active um people are like so warm and welcoming and they're also doing really really cool stuff um that definitely deserves to have a wider platform so yeah we're very happy to hopefully be supporting more um Australian professionals in the industry too yes just just wait till we can all hopefully get back to a convention sometime in yeah, dare I say it, the next 12 months and all be in a what are the, what's it called again? A physical space at the same time? I think that's what they call it. So that would be absolutely grand. But yes, no, it's been great having you on and, and we wish you all the best for all the fun, shiny things you've got coming up. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Okay, well, we'll leave it as that. Hey, Brenna. Perfect. Excellent. So, Garthy boy, if you've got anything to say to all the adoring fans out there before we, we tee off for yet another fortnight. Um... No, just be thankful, everyone, that you don't have to look at Leon's bespeckled face for any time soon. My wife loves these glasses on the FYI. So I pull this off of real world. Glasses look good, yeah. Yeah. Ha! There you go, Garth. Take that. (laughs) Fine. Oh, wait, we we have um, a very special guest here. (laughs) Hi, Dan. Hello, Dan. How are you? Yeah, they look good, right? (laughs) Yeah. She didn't bag no. you out too much. I did an impression of you, which was really good. <laughs> yes, with your extremely strong Australian accent, apparently. Yeah, sometimes I'm just like, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. All right. Well, we will leave you to to it. Thank you very much. Stay safe over there in your lockdown uh, lifestyle. And yes, hopefully we will be in the same place at the same time, playing the same game at some point in the future. All right, thank you. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Dan May, creator of Polyhero Dice, and you're listening to The Dice Man Cometh. I've listened to the guys' ideas about creating their own games. One, on a very long drive back from... Uh, BorderCon was a uh, legacy game about wallpapering. Um, it's not bad, actually. Right. Oh, so we are back yet again here at the end of the episode. And that was our new good friend, uh, Brendan Noonan, who we have stolen from the Northern Hemisphere to bring down here. And if we keep doing that, doing that with all the talented people in the board gaming world more happy times for us. But Garth, we already have some talented people in the Australian board game community, and we're going to talk about a game that we got sent from them right now. Absolutely. We are talking about Corridors of Power. Now, this is by Bailey's Brothers, and they are a Sydney-based little independent 
sort of game studio and they um they gave us a, an email and said hey guys can we send you a copy of corridors of power uh so that you can have a bit of a play and we went sure we want to support yeah i don't think they did that voice at all but um yeah they asked if we were interested and then they showed us the cover for the game and the tagline is build trust and break promises and that's just surely that's just the dice men cometh in you know four simple words right there (laughs) well look i mean at the end of the day it is quite simply a game where you're trying to get your own political agenda and your political i don't know things passed yes you know you are going to have a whole bunch of different agendas that you want to get past and something you don't want to get past because you'll each have your own little secret objectives which are going to score you more points and you're also going to have the tug and pull of three different factions that you've got to try and keep happy but not all as happy as each other no so you've got the workers the progressive or the big business which may be a slight representation of australia's three big political parties or most of the three big political parties throughout the world basically as we were playing at the big business policies we didn't really like to agree upon too much but for the purpose of the game some of us really were big fans of them sadly well, that's it. You could, in Australia, go the Liberals, the Labors, and the Greens as the three different, you know, factions that you're, you're sort of playing in this. Exactly. And, and look, the thing is, this game is quick. Yeah. It's short and quick, and it endeavours to, to make the most of that time that it's got with you. So, look, on your turn, you're going to start by rolling a couple of dice, and this is really cool. Look, rolling dice is fun, and in these dice, they are not just standard, uh, you know, D6, 1 through a 6. They've got different faces on them, which have different numbered pips, yep. which are not just one through to six, Ooh. but the pips are influence or smear, which is, let's call it negative influence. Which is one of the favourite um, uh, components the Dice Men come with have seen in the last few years, that there are oh, smear yeah. tokens. And the idea that you can give your friends smear tokens is lovely. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, you've also got on some of the faces, protesters and politician symbols on there, which are cards that will, will trigger certain events or allow you to move agendas up and down the political landscape. So you'll roll these dice. And again, in a really cool little twist, you will choose one of the dice and you get the benefit of one of the face on the face up bit. And you have to give the other die with another lot of benefits to someone else around the table of your choice and presumably players around the table. So yes, you've got to give your dice away. Someone's got to get the extra benefit and it's going to be Leon going, Oh, I haven't got any influence and I need some smear. Can you do that? And I'm coming last all the time. So give it to me. And then you'll have someone else around the table going, yeah, I'll take it because Leon's losing and he doesn't need it anymore. I mean, that did happen a lot. So it is only fair. I think you asked that, but that is a really cool thing that I like that there's, not necessarily the luck factor of it. I mean, you're rolling dice, there's a little bit of luck, but the fact that you have to give them away to other people is a really cool little mechanic in this game that doesn't take very long, but you do need to, like all politics and all board games, you do need to build those alliances. And there's the times where, yes, you can give the action cards to to yourself or to other people, which we'll talk about in a second. These action cards are really cool and they have a few famous faces on them. (laughs) Or if you get two symbols of the protesters on them, you'll get an event which happens, which affects everybody and on the board and figure affects this round specifically there's not heaps of them and it doesn't happen too often only when you roll these two similar faces but just that extra little bit is um very nice to see yeah you, you're spot on it's one of those things that it, it 
adds a little bit of a game change play. If it happens, it's exciting. But if it doesn't happen, then you just wait and maybe the next die roll, it will happen. So look, you'll roll your die, you'll take a dice and get the benefit. You give a dice away and someone else get the benefit. And then you get into the meat of the game. And this is where you will pick from one of the face-up available agenda cards. Now, there are three different types. There are your minor ones, your major ones, and your headline ones. And the game mm. will end once two headline policies have been put up for a vote. Once the, the second one of those has been put up for a vote, that's going to signal that the round is going to be the last round. Now, these yeah. policies are sometimes a bit normal and sometimes completely ludicrous. You could find yourself, you know, for once, you know, voting for a four-day working week. Hey, I'm all for that. Or you yeah. could be voting on reintroduction of child labour laws. Yay! Yeah, take a stab at which party wanted to bring those in. <laughs> Not that not the we're any specifically way of leaning on this show at all, except for the obvious ways we've been saying it for 340 <laughs> episodes. Uh, but yeah, no, it's really cool, the idea of you're trying to get these policies passed, and you're going to be doing that by a bit of blind bidding, which is always fun. You're trying to get the most influence to, to get that passed, and you don't want people putting out smear tokens, because smear tokens remove influence, but you don't just remove influence from the pool that's been added during this blind bidding. You specifically remove them from people's hands. And now this is important because when you're voting on these policies, the people that are going to get the victory points for them are the people that have put in the most for this policy or the second most or the third most. So when you put out your smear tokens, you could be doing it with a whole bunch of influence tokens trying to get this passed, but you want to smear somebody else because you don't want them to be second or third so they get no points, which is a lovely little mechanic. It sure is. It is great to be able to put a smear token in your hand knowing that should this pass... It is going straight into Leon's hand and it will again make him lose and complain and whine and moan. Or you could just have, which happened, I, I want to say nearly 10 times when we played this game where I put up a policy up for vote, I put in my influence, maybe a smear to throw somebody off and then everybody else at the table, one of which being Garth and Trent and my beloved wife would all just blind bid absolutely nothing every time and I'd be standing there just be like, the equivalent of the politician that gets up and speaks to everybody and then everyone goes, yeah, mate, move along. We don't care. <laughs> because the good thing is anytime you do bid, smear or influence, whether it passes or not, you've lost it. <laughs> yes, which is always uh, fun. Now, these cards that you get throughout the game, they have got some very important political people throughout history on them and they do various different things, some of which counteract various different other people. But there's not many games where you get to have you know, a political fight between Mussolini and the Dalai Lama, or say Castro and Judas Iscariot. <laughs> hey, or John Lennon listen. versus Genghis Khan. Come on. <laughs> Which, I mean, we've wanted that for years and you can finally do that in this game. So it's just a nice little extra touch and they do different little abilities. So you play all that and you move through the rounds, people voting on new polities. And then once you get to the end, you tidy up you look at all the secret objectives that you tried to score as well as the influence you got politically. And then whoever wins is the person that's going to take control of the country and run it into the ground. Which Absolutely. That's the way politics works, I believe. Yeah, look, definitely. And this game, it does play quick. And the art, yeah. I think, is really cool. The artist that yeah. they've managed to get on for this has a really interesting design style. And you can certainly see the big you know, portrait shots of, of each of these major historical figures. It looks yep. like the figure, so you know who it is. But it's really cool, and you could picture it on posters or TV. So I think they've done a bang-up job with that. 
I really yeah. like the, the personalized uh, dice that you get with that because it does come with four dice and you use uh, either the white pair or the black pair, depending on the number of people that you've got playing the game. Yeah, the which is a lovely is otherwise match. fine. I think, oh, look, I do think what they're missing are player screens because in a game where oh, you're yes. going to be bidding influence and smear secretly, yeah. you need to be able to hide the amount that you've got. Even if it's only hiding the amount you've got before you're going into, an, uh, I guess, a discussion. So it can be open knowledge right up until the end, but you can't just put it in your hand without people seeing what you've got left. But it did, however, allow us to to kind of uh, jerry-rig our own little player screens, which I used the screens from the Sons of Anarchy game that I have. <laughs> so we did have um, the the Sam Crow Motorcycle Club going up against the um, you know the One Niner Motorcycle Club, trying to vote on you know Australian electoral policy, which is just Something I won't be forgetting anytime soon. But this is a definitely a game that I could see playing um, late at night after a few beers, after a bigger game maybe, just as a kind of, you know, as a palate cleanser that we just want to kind of screw each other over very quickly in half an hour or so and have fun. Yep. It's also a game that I could see coming out quite a lot at, say, things like conventions and stuff. For sure. for just a game that's got some substance to it. It's not exactly a party game per se, but it's got some substance to it and you could have some fun with it um, at the end of the evening. Oh, look, the, the whole thrust of this game and what it attempts to do is it's all about these negotiations. It's all about you putting up a policy and trying to convince your fellow players to pass a policy that honestly they may not actually care about. And this is where my major sort of criticism of the game comes in because you've each got a hand of five cards and those five cards are made up of the three different factions, the, the Greens, the Labour and the Liberal Party, for lack of a better term. And each yep. of the policies that are going to be coming up are affiliated with one of those parties. Now, the way you're going to score points is at the end of the game, you'll have all the row of the past policies and the policy that has the most colours up there is going to score the most points. And then the second um, colour, second most colourful one is going to be the second points and there's no points for third. So it's the intrinsic difficulty I've got with this game is that you are trying to sometimes, sorry, all the time, either just convince people to do the thing that they probably want to do anyway. If they've got the influence, yeah. they'll want to pass a policy that is green if they themselves are holding three green cards in their hand. Or yeah. you're trying to convince people to go against their own wishes, which is, why should I bother about passing a green policy if I've got a fistful of the red or the blue cards in my hand and I don't want green to pass? And that is where I personally, I'm not quite sure how other games are going to do it, but this game for me, it didn't succeed in being able to get that to work. Yeah, it could be one of those things where you could just simply say, look, if you help me with this vote, I'll help you with another vote in future. That's all well and good, but that is completely based on whether the other person will actually believe you, listen to you and go along with your plan without backstabbing you, which for us, we would absolutely just backstab the person straight away. So you don't have that incentive necessarily, as you say, if you don't have the cards for that specific party, you just don't care at all no. about that, that passing. You might, you'll probably throw in some schmear maybe to stop it, or you just won't throw in anything whatsoever. So it does disengage you a little bit. So that is a thing that possibly they could add something in a, in a bit of an expansion, maybe to add that to make it a bit more, uh, to make deals to the game. And I don't think it would actually extend the time too much either. No, I agree. And I think that's exactly why you want to have your leaders. So they've got the leaders in there. 
because they do have these game-breaking abilities. So you'll play one of your leader cards if things aren't going your way, and it might add a smear to the current vote and a, par- a policy that was going to pass might fail, or it might give you extra influence because you're lacking in influence because you haven't had good rolls of the dice or no one's given you the other dice that they didn't need. So the leaders are crucial in trying to, you know, alter the game the way that you want it. And, and that's, that's fine. That's good. But I just feel like there's this little bit that this, that's not quite at the right level for this game. I think there are other games that are going to do it uh, a little bit better, trying to convince people to do things they otherwise either don't care about or are exactly the opposite of caring. They're going to give them negative consequences. Yeah. So, but at the end of the day, it's a couple of blokes from Sydney who had a crack and they definitely didn't do bad for a first try whatsoever. There's a few refinements we wouldn't mind having in there, but this is a game that I think, like I said, some people could really find the the enjoyment of it, you know, quite obvious, which is really cool. So I, I agree. For them. I, I think a table with around, you know, just mates and a, a few drinks, if they so inclined, and play it for what it is, which is meant to be a bang-up fight to the, yeah. to the political finish line, you can do that. Do not overthink this game. Go into it thinking you'll have a bit of fun, and you probably will. Yeah, exactly. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. So on that not-so-much bombshell, we're going to let everybody go for yet another fortnight. Remember that we are the Dice Men Cometh, as you know, and you can catch us on every kind of social media. You can message us, talk to us, and we will happily reply. That's how we got this game in front of us that we just talked about just then. Isn't it amazing the way that the internet works? So feel free to do that, and we will be back in about a a fortnight's time, do you reckon, Garthy boy? Well, hope so, if the world doesn't blow away, because it is blowing a gale here at the moment. Yes, we actually were going to record this interview with Brenner about two weeks ago, except that there was so much wind in little old Tasmania that me and Garth were had our power were kind of going here and there, <laughs> and it was just all over the shop. But, you know, at the end of the day, we are kind of living in the safest place on the world, so we really should shut our mouth and just be grateful that wind is not that big a deal. Absolutely. Yes, but everyone out there should hopefully stay safe, be happy and play more games with your loved ones because it is the time to be doing it. Damn right. And that on that note, we will wrap up episode 314 from Leon's house and mine. We do want to say thank you to uh, Brenner for spending time with us and obviously to our sponsor, LFG. Thank you. Please go and buy all your games from their locations, especially the online ones. We're done. You can find us on all the socials. Just put an at and Dice Men Cometh after it and you will get to us. I can almost assure you. Certainly will. All right. Till next time, people. Stay safe. Love, love. Goodbye. Bye. You're listening to the Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia.